Fellowship Church. Hey, come on. Yes. Hey, listen, I always felt like it's interesting that during the Christmas season, we want to, preachers want to come up and we want to tell you, like, we know you're stressed out and we know you're in a hurry. And then we try to convince you that you shouldn't be, but we always remind you that you are. And then we show a video like that. Does anybody else's anxiety rise when that video comes up? <laughs> like, I start sweating. My blood pressure's through the roof because it is like a desperate time. And every Christmas season, I feel this, this desperation. And so I've labeled this message, tis the season for desperation. It all starts with me when I have to try to find the perfect gift from my father. Now, I love my dad. My dad is my hero. My dad, uh, I was raised by my dad, a single father. And when people used to ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was always like, I want to be my dad. My dad was a teacher. My dad was a coach. And my dad was a farmer. I am a teacher, I am a coach, I don't have enough land in Mount Julia to be a farmer, so I became a preacher. So that is kind of the same. <laughs> and so this time of year, like, I want to honor my father by giving him the perfect gift. And how it works in our house is you just ask him, like, hey, what do you want? And he'll ask me what I want, and I tell him, and he gets it for me. So I thought, that should work for you. So I ask my father every year, what do you want for Christmas? And his answer every year I just want everyone to be happy and there to be peace in the earth. And I'm like, well, aren't you just a modern-day Mother Teresa? Look at you. Now, seriously, Gandhi, what do you want? No, John, I want everyone to be happy and there to be peace in the earth. And I'm like, well, listen, if you don't tell me what you want, it's going to be another faded glory polo from the Walmart for the 17th year in a row. And there's like this desperation. This year I'm getting him an air fryer. Yeah, nothing says Merry Christmas. Dad, I'm getting you an air fryer. Start looking at recipes, okay? Then it comes to the present for your spouse. And, and me and my wife have made this arrangement. Like, you don't get me a present and I won't get you a present. That is a trap, fellas. <laughs> it is a trap. I watched it play out in the life of a friend two years ago. He calls me. On the morning of Christmas, and I answered the phone because I knew he had needed something. It was Christmas morning. He was like, John, you'll never guess what happened. I'm like, what? He's like, I made the deal with my wife. You don't get me anything, I won't get you anything. I'm like, bro, that's a trap. He's like, I know. She got me something. I'm like, what did she get you? She, she got me an Apple Watch. I'm like, how do you go from not getting anything to getting a $300 timepiece? Like, it doesn't work. He's like, what should I do? I'm like, bro, it's Christmas morning. You, you can't, nothing's open. I'm like, you got to go around the house and you got to find stuff that she doesn't even know is there and you got to wrap it up and you got to give it to her. <laughs> he gave her like a three-year-old family photo, a half-burnt candle and a Dixie chick CD. Like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and then it goes to the Christmas photo. Like, I'm starting to receive your Christmas photos and all over your face is desperation. Because nothing brings more stress than the Christmas photo. Like, what do we wear? Do we wear flannel? Do we wear black shirts and jeans? Do we just go with all different colors and because we're a different kind of family? Do we let the boyfriend in the picture? How long has she been dating this boy? I don't even like this kid. Did you know he had a tongue ring? We can't let him in the picture. Where do we take the picture? 
Do we go in front of grandma's barn? Do we take it on the living room? Do we drive around and find a couch in some random field and take it on that? <laughs> Desperation. But nothing brings more, somebody just went, oh. <laughs> nothing brings more desperation in my home than this guy. <laughs> this is the elf on the shelf. And for you that don't know, see, this is what's happened. The world has become so populated that Santa needs help finding out whether or not boys and girls are being naughty and nice. And so Santa has deployed this reconnaissance group of elves that come. And what they'll do is they will hang out every day and they will watch young boys, young girls, and at night they fly back to Santa. And they report on whether or not the boy was good or the girl was good or bad. Now, Santa being the chief in charge of Christmas that he is, he doesn't let everyone have some of these elves. Santa still has a list, but he has employed the help of these beautiful little elves. And now these elves take on different personalities because they're each individually unique. Some elves just hang out on the mantle at the best viewing point. Now, some elves, like our elf is more of a sedentary elf. He just kind of sits in the same spot. He might occasionally move an inch to the left, an inch to the right. But for the most part, he is right there because that is the best vantage point that he can see my two children. Now, some other people's elves are, are kind of mischievous, and they kind of move around a lot, and they kind of do naughty things like this elf. This elf is really weird. He's, <laughs> he's doing something crazy in the sink. I don't know what's going on here. And then there's even been a sighting of, like, really old, creepy elves like this one. This one's a really old, <laughs> creepy elf. <laughs> I, I preached in a church last Christmas dressed as an elf on the shelf. But... When, can you put that first picture of the elf back up? It's a little bit, uh, this one. When this elf shows up at my house, like desperation is written all over the face of my children. For 335 days, they've been absolute terrors. But for the next 30 days, in the presence of this guy, they're going to do their best to be desperate to be good. And I think that if I could do anything for you today, it would be to talk about the desperation of Christmas because I want to give a positive light to that. I want to give a positive that I think we should be desperate at Christmas. I think that there should be a desperate joy that fills the hearts of every individual. You see, to understand the gospel and to understand the Christmas story, you got to understand the fullness of the gospel. You see, God created human beings with Adam and Eve to have a relationship with them. In fact, it says that he communed with them in the garden. The whole idea the whole time was to be in unison with God and to move about our lives. But because of a decision that Adam and Eve made, that plan was altered. But see, it didn't stop there. In fact, God, being the sovereign God, the great God that he is, had another plan, and that plan was in the form of Jesus. And in Christmas, we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus but to understand the fullness of the gospel, you've got to look at his life as an entirety. Because where Jesus was, there was always some things that was happening. Like Jesus desired to change the city. Like if you look through the gospel and you look at Jesus' ministry, he was always going into the city. Like he had a desperate desire to see cities change. In fact, it says in the Bible that he actually looked upon Jerusalem and wept. They had so much compassion to see an absolute transformation of a city. And I believe that that's the same way he looks at our city. 
I believe that he desires to see Donaldson, Mount Juliet, Hermitage, wherever you call home. Hopefully it's not Watertown. Good gosh, I don't know if he's looking at Watertown. Just kidding if you're from Watertown. I don't understand it. Never mind. But within that city, he would always draw a crowd. You would look at Jesus' life, and there was always a crowd. And, and the crowd were always made up of the same people. The helpless, the hopeless, the broken, the confused, the desperate. And even at his birth, the Savior of the world drew a crowd made up of those kind of people. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 8. That, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of the sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring Great joy, everyone say joy, Joy. to all people. You see, here's the deal. When it comes to desperation and desperate people, there were no group of people that were more desperate than the shepherd. Because of their occupation, they were deemed untrustworthy. They they were deemed unclean. The Jewish leaders would look at the shepherd and, and, and basically cast them out because of their inability to actually keep the Jewish law. And so... Deep inside of every human being God ever created was this desire for something more. So the the shepherd knew that there was something more for their life than just this hangout in random fields with sheep. They knew deep inside that there was something more. And I believe that they were desperate to actually find that. And on this day, on this day they had an encounter that would forever change their lives. You see, they they had an encounter with an angel that says, hey, listen, I've got good news. It's not by coincidence that the gospel is called the good news. I've got good news that will bring you great joy. Let's read on. It says that the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. You see, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I think that we all know That during the season, we we should probably put aside the desperation of the world and really focus on a a desperate joy. Now, the problem is, is that we don't always know how. The the problem is, is that that sounds good from a message and it sounds good from the stage. You're like, yeah, he's right. But how in the world do I do that? Because our lives are different. Uh, our situations are different. Our, our, our socioeconomic statuses are different. Where we grew up was different. And, and that's what makes this world so beautiful. But the one thing about the gospel is, is it takes people like me and people like you from totally different places and it unites us 
behind one purpose. And so what I want to do for you today is this. Is I want to show you how I believe that Jesus teaches us to turn our desperation into a desperate joy. And you find that in Matthew chapter 11. So if you're note takers, by the way, note takers are world changers. If you don't take, you're probably not going to get a lot of great information today to write down. But write down Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to read, I'll read it, and then we'll break it down for you. Now, this always works better, okay? This always works better if you interact, okay? Like, raise your, like, I'm not going to do this to you, but sometimes I'm like, raise your hand if God is good. You're like, my God is an awesome God. Like, you don't raise your hand, but sometimes you need to tell your face, like, that's what you believe. Because some of your faces don't show that that's what you actually believe. Then Jesus said... Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me. Everybody say, come. Come. All who are weary and carry heaven burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Everybody say, take. Take. Upon you. Let me teach. Everybody say, teach. Teach. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find. Everyone say, find. The rest for your souls. I believe that the essence of how you find desperate joy in this desperate season boils down to those four words. Come, take, teach, find. I'm going to change the word teach because I'm a teacher. I can do it to learn. Come, take, learn, find. It it starts with come. You see, there is an open invitation to you to come to something more. The angels were inviting the shepherds, the most desperate people of their times, to come to something more. In fact, the something that they had always been searching for. The problem with a good invitation is this. it, It is based solely on your ability to respond. Now, I love next semester because next semester is prom season. And so at, at our school, there will be all these things called promposals. Okay? And basically what it is is like people have to come up with creative ways to invite their girlfriend to prom these days. Okay? But what kids don't understand, and they always come to me to, for, the, for my advice, I was doing promposals back in the 90s. Okay? This isn't, because when you look like I look, you got to come up with creative ways to attract the ladies. Because it ain't going to be about my face, brother. Now, there was a girl. She was a senior. I was a junior. Way out of my league. Most girls are. Something different about I grew up in a small town, Hartsville, Tennessee. There was something different about this girl. She didn't chew tobacco, and she had all her teeth. Uh, <laughs> so I liked her. I'm, you're probably having a hard time with this. And so I decided if me and this girl are going to go to prom, I've got to come up with a creative way to ask her. And so I convinced my buddy, whose grandfather smoked like a freight train, to go and steal two cartons of cigarettes from his grandfather's house. He brought me those cigarettes. They were Marlboro Red. I was wondering what the sign for Marlboro (laughs) was. Um, And I took those cigarettes, and I super glued them to a poster board. And it just said... Prom with you would be smoking. And I lit the last cigarette where it would actually smoke. This is genius. This guy's clapping. He's like, this guy is my hero. No. The only problem is this, is I had it set up. Like, hey, would you meet me at my car after school? I got something for you. You know, if that doesn't sound creepy enough, I got something. Meet me at my car. I'm going to kidnap you. Um, So I set it up. I light the cigarette, I'm standing by it in my best Wrangler jeans and dirty t-shirt, and she never shows up. 
Thank you for your pity. <laughs> not only did she not show up, my poster board caught on fire. It almost caught, <laughs> it almost caught my 1978 brown Pontiac Catalina on fire. Don't know why I couldn't get a date. Um, but I learned a valuable lesson is you could have the best invitation ever. But if nobody shows up, it's meaningless. And, and this is what it, and the gospel is the same thing. You see, there is an open invitation to all of us daily for something more. And, and the reason I love this scripture so much is that it is a present tense come. You see, it's not came. It's not all of you that came to me 23 years ago. No, it, it's a present tense come. Because God desires something from each and every one of us today. And there is an open invitation for you to receive something more through the Holy Spirit. I believe that. And the hope of the world is, is actually found in these seats today. And it's solely based on your ability to respond to one simple thing. Come to me. All. All. And when we begin to actually receive that invitation, and we actually begin to move toward it, I believe that the next step in this whole thing is possible. Now, what does that look like? Well, I can't tell you what it looks like for you, but I can tell you what it looks like for me. I teach at Donaldson Christian Academy. I, I, I absolutely love what I do. Um, but every morning before I walk in that building, I will say this prayer. Dear God, I, I receive your invitation to come to this place today. Please intertwine my path with somebody else's path so that they can see your face through mine. Receiving the invitation to come. That's it. It's that simple. And then I walk in that building and I actually believe it's going to happen. So the next part is take. Everybody say take. It says take my yoke upon you. See, here's the deal with this one though. As in order for me to take his yoke, I've got to take my own yoke off. Okay, everybody was like, ooh. I, uh, when I first started, I've, I've been working for the church for seven years. Not this church, <laughs> the church, Big C. Um, and when I first started working, I had a flip phone because I was like the anti, like I'm from Hartsville, Tennessee. You know, we don't really have a lot in Hartsville, Tennessee. So I was like, I got my flip phone. That's all I need. And I started working for the church. And they were like, well, you got to do this, 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 and this. You need a smartphone. And so the pastor of the church was nice enough at the time to give me his smartphone. I'm like, man, you don't have to give me your smartphone. He's like, oh, no, it's, it's three generations behind. I'm going to go get a new one. I'm like, oh, well, aren't you kind? <laughs> and so he gives me this iPhone, and it's like the iPhone 2, and this was right around the time the iPhone 5 came out. I don't know. Was it? it might not even have been a 2, but it was one of them old ones, man, that didn't work half the time. And so finally I got frustrated with it because it wouldn't function the way it was supposed to function, so I made an appointment at the Apple store. In Green Hills. Oh, Lord. So I take it to the Apple store, and I'm like, hey, listen, this is, this is my phone. It's not working. Can, can you check it out for me? And they take it, and they're like, yes, sir, we will help you out, Mr. Carey. And they take it in the back. Three hours later, <laughs> if you've been to the Apple store, you know my pain. They bring it back, and they say, listen, we got good news and bad news. And I'm like, I love this game. Let me have the bad news. And they're like, the bad news is, is that there is a hardware malfunction in your phone, and we cannot fix it. Awesome. The good news is, is that it is under warranty. I'm like, thank you. There is a Jesus in heaven. <laughs> and they're like, because we can't fix this, we're going to give you a brand new phone. Yeah. And we're not going to give you the same phone we have. We're actually going to give you the latest version. Yeah, we're going to upgrade you. 
And I'm like, let me get this straight. You're going to take this one thing that doesn't work, and you're going to give me the best, the newest, the brand new thing that functions better than anything else out there. And they're like, absolutely. Three more hours later, they, they give me the phone, and I pick up my old phone, and I got the new phone, and I'm starting to walk out the door, and the guy says, hey, stop. I'm like, what? He's like, you can't take them both. And I'm like, well, I mean, like, this one's mine. You gave it to me. I own this one. He's like, no, 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 no. You can't take them both. He's like, you either got to take the, the old one that doesn't work or you got to take the new one that does, but you can't take them both. You got to leave one behind. And so, of course, I took the new one. And it's the same thing. Like, God is offering you something in your moments of desperation so much better than what you've had. But for some reason, we want to hold on to it. And what he's trying to tell you is this, is, is that for me to take you where you want to go, you got to leave one behind. You got to leave the yoke of selfishness, the yoke of pride, the yoke of uh, you name it. You actually have to take that one off in order to put the one that I have for you, which is, which is the yoke of hope, which is the yoke of peace, which is the yoke of rest, which is the yoke of redemption. You see, it's impossible to carry them both. But for some reason, we keep trying. For some reason, for, and, and, and I speak firsthand with this, for some reason, I keep trying. For some reason, I, I, I can't seem to take off the yoke of the world. But I, I know that in order for me to move to where he has me going, I have to. You see, so not only do I have to respond to the invitation that he has given me today, but I have to actually lay myself aside and take up the yoke that he has given me. The third one is, uh, is learn. Everyone say learn. So I've received the invitation. I, I'm now working toward taking off the yoke of the world, putting on his yoke. And now it's time for me to learn. He actually says to these people, come to me and I will teach you. And, and, and the interesting thing is, is who these people are. So these people are all the people who are tired. Like raise your mental hand in your mind. Like I've been tired before, all of you. Heavy burdened, all of you. People that need rest, all of you. He's saying, come to me and let me teach you. And I'm like, that, that, as a teacher, that's weird to me. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what exactly is he talking about here? And then I go back to the reason they're tired. You see, the reason they're tired is, is that they had been trying to work so hard for their faith. Their, their faith was solely based on their own abilities, their abilities to keep laws, their ability to stay clean. And let me tell you something. When your faith is solely based on your ability, that is tiring. That is tiring. And so he's saying to those people, hey, come to me. Let me teach you a new way. In your moment of desperation, let me teach you a new way to go about your life. It's a new way that's not based on your ability. It's a new way that's not based on your work. It's a new way that's not based on how good you are or how bad you are. It is solely based on the free grace that I offered you the day I'm going to go to the cross. He hadn't been there yet. But for me and you, it's offered to us that day. You see, nobody ever gets burned out in church. Listen to this. Nobody ever gets burned out in church when you're doing things for the right reason. So when I work, it's because of the grace that has been shown to me. It's because my life has been transformed. It's because I am believing that not only am I his plan A, I am the hope in which he speaks of in those scriptures. And not only am I a miracle in the making, but I am also someone else's miracle. And I believe the same thing about you. 
And that's what God's trying to teach these people. Is that no longer do they have to go to this place called the temple and enter into the Holy of Holies and find a professional Christian and talk to them. They, 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 they are the church. They are the hope of the world. And if he was here today, he, he would look at you, Wayne, and he would say, I believe the same about you. Is you are the hope of the world. And if I believe if anything in the Christmas season for a group of desperate people that he would teach, it would be this, is slow down. You can look at Jesus' life and you can learn something. He was never in a hurry. Never, nowhere in Scripture, all you biblical scholars out there, nowhere in Scripture will you ever find the words, Jesus sprinted. <laughs> Jesus got on a thoroughbred horse and galloped. The dude was riding a donkey. He was never in a hurry. And he was always rested, not restless. He was always rested. He always took time to commune with the Father, and which is rest. He always took time for the Sabbath, which is rest. And because he's never in a hurry, and he was never restless, he always responded. He never reacted. That's a lot of R's. You see, when I am in a hurry, and when I am restless, I always react. Ask my 13-year-old kid. I always react. But when I find myself in a place of rest, when I find myself in communion with God, I always respond. Jesus never reacted. He only responded. Now, I want you to imagine this. There's this thing called the emergency response team. Okay? Hello. This is 911. My house is on fire. Okay, sir, your house is on fire. Yes, my house is on fire. Are you out of the house? Yes, but my house is on fire. Okay, are your kids out of the house? Yes, but my house is on fire. Okay, sir, I need you to move away from your house. Take your kids, get them far. Help is on the way, sir. Oh, thank you, goodness. Emergency response team takes you, moves you and your family to safety. Imagine if it was the emergency react team. 911, my house is on fire. Oh my God, your house is on fire! Jenny, John's house is on fire. I don't know what to do. Run back in, get your stuff. Ah! Emergency reacting. Get you nowhere. <laughs> she snorted. <laughs> What's the sign for snort? <laughs> you know, it's the first time anybody's ever told me that. I appreciate that. Uh, you see, he's inviting you to something more. He's saying, hey, listen, put down your yoke and take mine. It's so much better. And he's trying to teach you something. He's trying to teach you. That you have every possible thing you need. And that there is a calling that is so great on your life that only you can feel. And the last one is find. And I believe it's the last one because I believe it's what we're all looking for. You see, you're all looking for something. How do I know? Because I'm looking for something. Eddie, I'm going to need Eddie. I'm going to need you to play guitar and make it sound more spiritual. I'm looking for something. I'm looking for purpose. 
I'm looking for Jesus. Around every corner, those, those are the things. And, and, and what I believe here is that if I do these three things, like if I receive the invitation today, not based on what I did 13 years ago, but today I receive that invitation that he's saying, hey, I want you to come because I have something more and, and it's also something better. And then I begin to put down the things that I desire, and I put on the thing that he desires most for me, and I begin to learn from him that in my biggest moment of desperation, I will find everything I'm looking for. How do I know? It happened for the shepherd. The shepherd. They were invited to something. The angels came to them. Why did the angels come to the shepherd? Because they were the most desperate. And they invited them to something more. They go. They leave, every, they leave their job. They're like, this is our responsibility, but we're leaving it. We're leaving the yoke, the thing that, has, that we are tied to. They were tied to those sheep. And I'm going to leave that behind, and I'm going to go find something greater. And they found it. And in that moment, they learned who they truly were. They learned that they weren't untrustworthy. They learned that they weren't unclean. That they, they learned that they weren't unworthy. And they learned, in fact, that they were just the opposite. And it says they went back to their fields singing and praising because they found what they were looking for. It's the same thing for you today. How do I know? Because I got a picture three weeks ago, a year ago. You're going to really need to do some work on this one, Eddie. It's going to take a lot to make this spiritual. <laughs> a year ago, I am, sometimes when you're teaching, any, any teachers in the house, raise your hand. Come on, clap your hands for the teachers in the house. Sometimes when you're teaching, you need to get out of the building. Like you need to take a moment and get away, especially when you're dealing with elementary kids. And so my away spot is I will go to that little pizza hut in the Target across the street from my school. Like, you know what? One, I like pizza. Two, it's in Target. Three, it's kind of secluded. Nobody's going to look for me there. And so one day I just need to get away. So I'm going to go to the pizza hut in Target. And I'm walking through the parking lot. And I happen to run across this guy. And he's coming the same way. Now, this isn't a normal guy that I would talk to on a day-to-day basis. This dude was a giant. He was very muscular. He had tattoos all over his neck, all over his face. And this is the crazy part. He had a nose ring and an earring and a chain that connected the two. Yeah. And for some reason that day, I said, what's up, chief? Now, (laughs) fun fact, if I call you boss or chief, it's not because we're cool. I just don't know your name. What's up, chief? And he kind of looks at me. He's like, not much. And then for some reason, I say, I like your nose chain. (laughs) And then I say, it reminds me of my grandfather. (laughs) Because my grandfather had a chain connected to his wallet and his belt so that nobody would ever steal his wallet. I guess you don't have to worry about anybody stealing your ear. And he laughed. And I was like, I was like, man, what's your name? And his name was Mark. 
And I was like, Mark, what are you doing? He's like, I, I'm, going, I'm going to Target. I was like, I'm going to Target too. Let's walk in together. And I noticed something as me and Mark walked into Target. It was like the parting of the Red Sea. Like women were taking their children and going in the opposite direction. Guys were moving their wallet to their front pocket. And, and, I, and, I, and my heart began to break. And then as we go, because I go to Target because I don't think anybody's going to see me. But as I walk in the front door, there is a mother and a kindergartner that I take. I'm like, what are y'all doing here? And they're like, aren't you supposed to be at school? <laughs> and the little girl, she is the cutest little girl you've ever seen in her life. And she runs up and she gives me this huge hug. Like, it's just because it's what we do every day. It's not because I'm anything special. It's just because she knows I love her and, and she loves me. And she gives me this huge hug. And then she looks at Mark. And she's like, I like your face pictures. <laughs> and she gives this dude a hug. And her mother is terrified. She's got her taser out and everything. It's like, like don't spray me with your mace. She runs. They go, and this dude is now crying. And I'm like, hey, man, why, why, don't, you come, why don't you come eat? Let me buy you some Pizza Hut in the Target. So we go over there, and, and he begins to tell me his story. He begins to say, hey, like, I was, I was abandoned as a kid. I, I've been in the wrong type of crowd all my life. He's like, I, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I know that there's something more. Just don't know what it is. He's like, that is the first time in probably 20 years that I have been hugged by anybody. And I didn't know what to do. But if you're reading through your Advent conspiracy book, there's this thing called give more. And I am a firm believer in you cannot give what you do not have. I didn't have money to give this guy. I didn't have advice like... In that moment, I did not have advice to give this guy. I only had one thing, and that was an invitation. And I said, hey, man, I am preaching. This was, this was a year ago. It wasn't at this church. I said, hey, I'm preaching this Sunday at, at this church. I was like, will you, will you be my guest? I want to give you an invitation. I want to give you an invitation because it's all I had to give him. And he's like, I don't know, man. I've been to church before. And he started through this long. I'm like, I get it. I promise you, be my guest, it'll be fine. So I get to church early that Sunday because I got to warn the people. <laughs> because here's the deal, this is just truth about Big C Church, is that we want the least of these to come through the door, but sometimes when the least of these come through the door, we're not ready for them. I mean, that'll, that'll sting a little bit, let it sting, it's okay. So we want the lost, the hopeless, the hurting to walk through the door, but sometimes we don't want to see them when they do. So I get to there early, and I rally all the people that are serving that day. I'm like, look, here's the story. I tell them all about Mark. I'm like, so listen, please do not, like, do not call the security team when he walks in the door. I do not want him surrounded by people doing this. <laughs> he is my guest. If he shows up, didn't know he, he shows up. You see, he shows up. And then that Sunday, I watched him take, I watched him respond to an invitation. I watched him to take the yoke that had been placed upon him off. I watched him put the yoke of Jesus Christ on. Over the next three months, I watched him learn what it was like to be a true follower of Christ. And three weeks ago, I got a picture from the pastor of Mark working the front door at the church. Don't clap. 
And it said, he came, he took, he learned, and now he's found. You see, it works. It works. But it's a choice. It's your choice. And in this season, there's, there's no greater gift. Wayne, you want to come back? There's no greater gift than I can give you as this. Is that there is an open invitation to you for something more. And it doesn't matter where you're at. I've been going to this church for 42 years. I gave my I gave my life. He was tuning his guitar. There's a music playing. I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit. Anyway. Been going to this church for 42 years. I gave my life to Christ when I was 18 years old. Well, guess what? There's an invitation for you today for something more. You're still the hope of the world. And you are someone's miracle waiting to happen. Jesus never saved anybody just to save that person. He saved someone to save his people. And just as he had compassion for Jerusalem, well, he has compassion for your city. Just like he drew a crowd, well, he's drawing a crowd today. And do you know what his plan for that crowd was? Is that they would experience him in a new way through the church. Not the building, not the programs, the people. You see, he's got something for you today. So respond to that invitation. When, when we pray up here, when, when the altar is open here in a second, that's what that is. That is that calm moment. Respond to that. Hey, some of us got to put down our yokes. Me being one of them. I've got to put down the yoke of thinking that I can do everything. It's called pride. But I'm humble, you know. So it's called humble pride. It's a real thing. Yeah, I can do it all, but I do it all for Jesus. <laughs> you know what it says in Romans, just go do that, you know. I gotta put that down and I gotta take what he's offering me. That's communion. That's communion. That's taking everything off and reminding myself of what he did for me. So I'm gonna take off my yoke and be reminded of his. I'm gonna learn. If you can learn anything from Jesus, is that dude prayed? There'll be prayer partners here waiting for you. There's going to be a cross here. You can, you can put things up that you, you're praying about. Learn. And I will guarantee you that you will find everything that you're looking for. And if one of those three things doesn't appease you, then this is what I love. Wayne's got the voice of an angel. You want to you wanna see what it looked like for them shepherds? Just listen in a minute. That's what it's going to sound like. It's, man, we can stand and we can worship and I can lift my hands and surrender because I know for a fact that when I walk out of this place, when I walk out of this place, I am walking into his calling for my life. And tomorrow when I, when I walk into that school, I'm not walking into that school as a PE teacher. I'm walking into that school as a reflection of Christ that just so happens to teach PE. When you walk into your job tomorrow, you're not walking into it as an accountant, as a banker, as a... Whatever it is that's important that you do, you walk and it is into is the reflection of Christ who happens to do that profession. That profession is not your calling. So don't ever think for a moment it is. And we will see our city changed. We will see our city changed. So I often wonder what would it sound like if just one with one voice, if we just stood in abandonment 
we just raised our voices and we sang like we've never sung before. And I can't help but think that the, that the doors of heaven would open up and Jesus would look down on this place and be like, oh my, what a beautiful sound. So stand to your feet. The altar's open. Communion's open. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And amen. Let's end this thing right, Wayne. Let's end it right. Dear God, we thank you for today, Lord. I thank you that today I get to hang out with my friends and I get to talk about you. So in this moment, God, God, let us be desperate. Like, I want to be desperate. I want to be desperate to see your face. I want to be desperate to, to hear your voice. I want to be desperate to respond to your invitation. God, I want to be desperate to lay down my life and take your yoke. And I desperately want to learn from you. And I desperately want to find everything that you have in store for me. And so, God, you have called this place to be a city on a hill. God, you have called this place to be the hope of the world. And the only way it works is if we choose to do those four things. And then we choose to give more. Give more of ourselves. Give more of our finances. Give more. And you can fill in the blank, God. But it starts in this moment right now. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.